When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Knife Talk is sponsored by Evenheat, the manufacturer of the finest knife heat treat ovens available. Find your next heat treat oven at evenheat-kiln.com. So welcome to another episode of Knife Talk. Now I've got a feeling that today's show is going to be a lot of fun. Today's guest is Fingal Ferguson. Welcome to the show, Fingal. Thank you for having me. It's great to finally speak with you. Really great. (laughs) Now I normally do a fair bit of research for each interview. So, so I've started, as I naturally would, with your Instagram profile. But that reads farmer, butcher, cheesemaker, knife maker, also charcuterie. So I, at that point, I really decided to stop doing the research. And I thought, let's just get to know you via the chat. <laughs> so, I mean, that's a lot of skills. How, how... It's, so it's a, man, a man of many skills, master of none. I, <laughs> I, I kind of have grown up. In, in a lovely part of Ireland down in the very south where my parents are, are you know, we have a farm here in, in West Cork and it's my, um, I'm the, so the fifth generation on the farm. Wow. And my parents started making cheese when I was very young. And it was one of the original farmhouse cheeses along with, you know, Millines and Doris who were making cheese before us. But, you know, we were sort of around that wonderful time in Ireland where artisan foods were sort of, sort of an exciting time post 60s and everything in West Cork. So life had a lot of amazing people um, that kind of came through Gabine and I've always been influenced by these characters. So I kind of grew up with the cheese and the farm and these lovely people and it got me excited about food. And do you know what, in, in some kind of way, the, with everything, when it comes to food, one of the tools of the trade is the knife. And it was just one of those things I just fell in love with and it drove mm. on from there. Well, you know, every knife maker that I speak with, particularly those that make knives for the kitchen, they've all got this massive sort of respect for food and this massive love for food. And obviously, it's no different for yourself. Well, I, I, do you know, in a funny kind of way, the reason why I kind of got into knives was almost that silly thing of just learning learning how to sharpen a knife. I wanted to know how to sharpen a knife. So I went mm. out to a great friend called Rory Connor, who's one of Ireland's original and great knife makers. And um, he actually was trained by, you know, spent a, a good period of time with Bob Loveless at the States. Oh, right. Came back, to, but very young, came back. And, and has been making knives for as long as I can remember. And he kindly sort of showed me how to make knives and, and how to sharpen and do all these kind of things. And I never had any intention to sort of make knives bar sort of for myself. Hmm. And it just was one of those things that just got under my skin and I kind of fell in love with it more and more. And it was, I suppose, that yin and yang element of, of the knives, that the sort of sparks flying and sort of, 
the grinding, the aggressive kind of like get stuck in and hammer and the whole sort of thing. And the sort of the other element of the scale, which is the Mr. Miyagi, the you know, the sandpaper and the Zen <laughs> moments of sort of blissing out and trying to get rid of all the little scratches and making it perfect. Yeah. And there is two sides to that knives. And it was kind of in some ways a lot of like like the food and everything in, in Gabin you know, there's, there's lots of different things kind of happen, but there was always a kind of a workshop. And so I always had this little area that I could kind of go off to when I had the chance. But, you know, when you really have these these mad urges, mm. you'll find time. You know, so I, I, I did literally sort of like squeeze in a bit here and a bit there. But I think this, the more I went down the rabbit hole of knife making, the, the, the more I've sort of just made more as much time as I can possible and <laughs> yeah yeah well I mean it's, it's obviously more than a hobby for you now it's you know it is what you do so so how do you split that time between you know as a uh, farmer I'd know, imagine it's a very yeah. busy time of the year at the moment well I, the, the, the truth is is that there there is 25 people that work in Gabin I mean that that there's between everything so we we have this amazing group and I, I would be nothing without all the people that that help us out and mm. from uh, our, our, my own amazing family, my parents and my sisters and 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 all the gang that kind of work with us. My amazing wife, who who we have we have our fifth coming in a couple of weeks. So oh, there's, there's more babies on the way. <laughs> congratulations! <laughs> We've recently a... found out we're having twins, so <laughs> oh, wow. there's, there's something in the air. <laughs> no, they are fantastic. You see, that's a great thing. I mean, the my guys kind of about eight years old and kind of ranging downwards to to expecting, and. So I suppose between all these these things, like the, um, there's several people who work making the cheese, and the smokehouse, and the farm, and and everything. So in many ways, I'm part of a team. Mm. But the um, the great thing is, is that when everything's working smoothly and and run, I can sort of sneak off. And it's usually the quieter times of the year and things like that. But I think because the knives have sort of gained a bit of merit and, and things like that. People understand why I go off to the workshop now. Imagine in the beginning, they're like, where the hell is he heading <laughs> off to now? You know, and yeah. how can he, but I don't know. I think, I think it's, it's not like I literally can go nine to five in, in, in the workshop. It's literally half an hour here, two hours there. Sometimes an entire day is, is a rare, but wonderful thing. Yes. But you know, one of the really nice things about that is I haven't lost the plot with knives. I always want to get into the workshop and yearning for something makes you want to kind of more and, and, and sort of when you get in there, it's more exciting. Yeah, yeah, I so, can, and, I can and then, totally see that, yeah. And then it makes me want to go back to the smokehouse and sort of come up with more of the, the cured meats and, and these things and help out with the cheese and do the... So between the, all the different aspects of, of the things, the... Um, the they, they kind of... If I was just doing one thing, it would probably be tough, hmm. but... And it, it, doing all of them together is tough, but yeah. in some kind of ways, the the, the madness is, is sort of how I roll. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you've got all these sort of creative outlets, haven't you? So that, mm, that's fantastic, yeah. fantastic. So so let's start talking about your knives. Would you say you have a, a specific style? Do you know, that's probably, I, I've never kind of tried to analyse myself too much like that. I think everything was about learning a skill set. So I kind of always had a couple of principles that I kind of followed. I really didn't want to ever completely copy somebody. I wanted to have something that was always a little bit original in every knife. I, the thing was about, so in some kind of ways, my style, I don't know. I have hidden tang, full tang. There is every, every range of knife from cleaver to paring knife in size. There, same hand, there's never really, there's very rare that two knives are exactly the same. Hmm. Um, and I've kind of fallen in love with the weird and wacky world of, of, of handles and, and the materials that are now out there. In, in some kind of ways, I suppose my style is, is probably the experimenter. 
Mm. and to kind of keep pushing the envelope in some respects and that can lead to going too far I mean there are times I look at a knife and I kind of think okay I've, I've gone way too tutti fruity <laughs> there's colours at the Yazoo that's gone mad it's now a sort of a sumonagashi blade with scallops and file work and multicoloured this that and the other it glows in the dark and it has <laughs> sort of rotating you know so you kind of look and that is a bit mad but you know what it taught me something and somebody out there is going to love it yeah, exactly <laughs> the afterwards exactly the afterwards I'll probably go the other end and make a sort of the equivalent of a Quaker style, simple, <laughs> straight yeah. up plain yeah. knife. So, but I think it's kind of your moods, you know. It's the, it's the. I have a box of pre-made handle materials, and I have a stack of all the different steels leaning against the wall, and all the knives are in different stages. I, mm. I kind of the, the the lucky thing is, is I've kind of built up a repertoire of all the materials and the things there. So, when I go into the workshop. There is blade, like steel untouched. There is blanks that have been cut out that need to be kind of profiled or ground. There is heat-treated knives that need to kind of be buffed down. I mean, there's knives that need the, the bolsters. There's knives that have literally been put into their blocks, the hidden tangs or had the, the scales glued on. There's knives that need to be finished. And I find that, that it's back to the yin and the yang. If I know I've only got 10 minutes, I'll take on a job that takes 10 minutes. If I know I'm in there for longer... But if I'm in a really crappy mood and I'm not, in the, I'm not going to try and finish a knife. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Sandin the, can wait till next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I usually find I make my mistakes when I'm pushing myself at the end of a knife. You know, that's mm, the kind of yeah. thing. You, you do something drastic and stupid because you're in a rush. Yeah. Whereas it doesn't matter at the early stages. But in the latter stages, a little hick, a sneeze while running a, a knife over a, over a sort of a grinder can, <laughs> you know, can put exactly. you back. Exactly. So. You, you mentioned handle materials there. Do, mm. do, you, do you have a favourite? Do you sort of favour natural woods or resins or sort of G10 stuff? I, what, what's... Okay, so I suppose I have kind of gone down the road to, of, of sort of stabilised woods. I think I kind of made a shot of knives. And in, in wet old West Cork, the natural woods I found were sort of shifting and changing on me. And, and you know, I wasn't, you know, probably getting them at the right moisture content when I was starting off with, or else if I did, they were overly dry. And then I brought them into a wet place and then they'd start to swell. And I sort of thought, okay, this is probably going to happen to customers. So I, I went and fell in love with sort of the element of stabilizing and, and using stabilized woods. And stabilized woods are really hard and they're mm. very difficult to work with and very hard to cut and they take forever to grind. But they're very quick to finish and polish and buff. And there's no oiling and, and stuff at the end. Yeah. So you suffer in the beginning, but you win at the end. But you also get that element of extra lifespan and sustain and and you know there's you won't need to oil the handle you don't need these things so yeah, bar yeah. perhaps the likes of of um you know ironwood and those wonderful hmm. other kinds of woods i largely find myself using stabilized woods and i suppose a good shout out to to rafer and and you know jacob and the, and the gang there I, I i make contact with them and i get woods from them but i do a bit of my own stabilizing but it never works out as well as as theirs yeah, it's fun to do, isn't it, stabilising? But, mm. but getting that really deep penetration, it's yeah. yeah, it can take some time. I think it's both the, both the chemistry and the types of uh, resins um, to match mm. the wood and, and also combined with, I suppose, you have the vacuum chamber, but you probably have to go into a pot afterwards and sort of pressurise. Yeah. It's whatever it is, whenever I've done it, it's, I find that I may as well... I've, I've kind of got to a point now with my knife making where I wanted to try and control everything in the early stages. And now I'm trying to control different elements. But I've said, if somebody can do it better than me, and I have tried it, and I know I can do it, but if somebody can do it better than me, then let them at it. So I will buy, you know, 
wonderful Damascus from from Damascus in Sweden, or I will mm. get the stabilized woods from Rafer, you know, and and I think that kind of element, you know, where do you draw the line between yeah, exactly. sort of like making yeah. it from scratch? I don't know, but I feel that there is. I mean, if you look at Japanese knives, that amazing thing of a, one person will spend his entire life making the steel mm. or forging or sharpening or putting the handle on or making the handle and that's all they'll do but they do it so well and so efficiently and in some kind of ways you've got to tip the hat to that but i much prefer that element of going all the way through the range of the knife but where does efficiency and logic meet the the element to do everything if the goal is to make the best knife that you can make quite often yeah you need to buy in the best materials yeah Mm, mm. okay and so I suppose yeah. So I suppose to answer your question on on, on the things, I I do love bog oak. I think it's just something I've nostalgically had a connection to. There's a lot of bogs in West Cork. <laughs> I've always had it around here, and it's an it's a beautiful thing of 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 age. It is it is an ancient wood that has been petrified, and and it's it turns out to be this amazing ebony dark black. Um, and we have smokers on the farm where we smoke the cheese and our meats, and we use oak wood. I have this connection to oak. I think oak is a stunning mm. a stunning wood. Um, not so much as the uh, you know the plain wood uh, on knives, but on the furniture and sort of the beautiful tree itself and the flavors of wood to cook over or to you know, so oak is is fascinating. And then after that, I think I kind of like the idea that a lot of these woods are probably not really about going into the Amazon and cutting them down. You know, there's that element now of, I suppose, you can get more interesting materials. But probably through that weird fusion of of modern technology meeting old, so you can turn you know quite weak punky bog oak mm, yeah. into this strong stabilized wood. And you can use the burrs and the the, the bits of the the offcuts of the wood and make these kind of hybrid knives. And so you you have this kind of interesting kind of world now. I feel where there is an element of the old and the new. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was speaking to somebody just a few weeks ago, actually, and um, he, he butchers. He's a butcher, which I like hey. yourself. But mm-hmm. he was saying in a commercial butchery, you're not allowed to use, um, or certainly where he was here in France, that you're not allowed to use a natural wood handle. They have to be plastic for, um, mm. for, for sort of health reasons, I suppose. I don't know. I'd, I'd argue that, I think. Um, and I, I know that at work, I suppose, we, we don't really... I mean, when we're at the farmer's markets, I have several knives that have, have kind of natural wood handles. Mm. But I think in the smokehouse, we, we largely have the sort of your, your Victoria Knox and those kind of knives that, yeah. that kind of are the, the rubber and the, in, in the, the acrylic kind of handles. I don't know. I think that, you know, the, the policy of, of hygiene of wood, I mean, they did kind of do a large stint of, of removal of, of sort of butchering blocks and stuff out of, out of wholesaling, or like the larger kind of food producing areas or, or facilities um but i think there is I, i'd argue that forever i think the thing is is that wood will actually contain as many good bacteria and the enzymes and, and actually has worked for so long that it's actually quite beneficial to that over sterilization of of things where actually it can create more problems but it's harder to prove <laughs> mm, yes quite possibly yes yeah yeah so would you say your work as as a butcher as well as everything else um would inform the way that you make your knives i mean have you sort of refined the maybe the shape or the processes due to using the knife on a daily basis I think the element of obsession of I've always loved knives. I mean, I think I, you know, much like yourself, you you inherited knives and, or, and had always a connection to them, didn't you? I think oh, that, certainly, and, yeah. Yeah. So I think that element of probably having grown up with them and then surrounded by wonderful chefs 
um, and and friends. Um, I went through phases of sort of cooking and doing barbecues and sort of doing we did a little dabble of kind of wedding catering and stuff like that with my sister so i suppose i've always had a knife in the hand and i think the thing is is that that probably makes me a little bit more critical when i feel the balance is wrong or you know i can pick that up quicker i suppose having held a knife for so long but in some kind of ways i yeah i'll be selfish when i'm making a knife i i do very much want to make a knife that i i love i'm not thinking of somebody else usually when i'm making a knife i kind of see it's flaw- like it well, that's not true, but I, I largely am focusing on the balance that I like or the, the mm. weight that I like and these kind of things. Now, there's there's huge variation in all the knives, but I suppose that will be the, 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 the aim of the functionality of the end knife more than the beauty of the knife. I think the functionality comes first, and then after you start nailing the functionality of the knife, then I suppose I sort of got more into playing around with the handle materials and the colors and the, the, yeah. that element yeah. of it. So I think the... Um, there is that element of function first, um, you know, and I suppose there is a two sides to knives. I mean, I've always tell a story to friends, to paint a picture that my my mum has a knife that she always uses. She spent a, bit, a good bit of time in India. And you know the kind of thing where people will literally not use a chopping board. They kind of cut everything in their hands. Mm, yes. And I've always seen her kind of do this style of sort of prepping onions and cutting things. And, you know, it was a little paring knife that fitted into her hand. And literally it's chipped, it's cracked, it's split, the pin. You know, it, it's a very ugly knife. But it, it it's sounds beautiful to me. It sounds beautiful. I love that. <laughs> you know, a knife character. being used as a tool for so yeah. long that it's become an extension of the user's arm, you know? Exactly. So, I mean, it, it is it is one of those things that I always kind of said. Now, on either side of it was a very bling-bling knife, a very fancy one, a, a new one and everything else. But she reached out for the one that she knew and, and had mm. a connection to. And and I think that those kind of elements of, of what makes a, a good knife, I mean, there is a point where you could have on a knife rack in front of you, you could have the most expensive knife in the world with studded diamonds and jewels, and it could be Damascus, and it could be quite everything you could dream of. And you could have another knife that was a hand-me-down from your grandfather that used to run up and down the wall to sharpen, and you know, mm. and one will just feel right to you more than the other. Yeah. So yeah. what is that element? Um, you know, what is that, the, the, the je ne sais quoi, what is that little piece of, of the thing that makes you want to reach out for that knife? And I, I have an obscenely large knife magnet at home. <laughs> you know, it, it has everything from car keys to scissors and stuff on it. But there is there is a lot of knives on it from my sort of ones I've always had to the ones I was never thought were perfect to knives that friends have made that I've swapped with and things like that. And you you do sort of see when you have a large range of them what the magic is, what has you know drawn you to using that knife more than another one. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and I mean, also for the role, you know, for the role that you're using it in. Yeah, yeah, and just having your own collection. I mean, I mean, recently for myself, so I've, I've just started sort of, I stopped everything that I was doing. So I've been making knives for a number of years. And, and mm. I mean, you just mentioned it yourself, where um, sometimes beauty may try to overtake the function. Um, and I found that happened with myself. So, you know, you, you start making knives and, you know, you see these easy gains very quickly. Um, so mm. each knife is better and better and better. Mm. Then concentrated more on making more of a beautiful knife. Um, mm. Well, I don't think the the function of the knife was quite there yet. So mm. what I've done is stripped everything back and just gone back to, at the moment, just producing one knife. So I want to make the best steak knives that I could possibly make. Yeah, yeah, they're stunning. Yeah. And, once, and once I've sort of cracked that and mastered that, then I'll introduce something else into the range. Mm. And because... I think for, 
I'd say the last three years, when I was using a steak knife, I'd pick up a just a, a plain Oppenel number eight um, mm. folding knife, and that to me was the best steak knife that I could find. Mm. It was. It was... I'm, I'm a Lyell man myself. <laughs> ah, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in France, it's very split between Oppenels, Lagiols, and Tiers. But um, but mm, I'm a yes. big I'm a big Oppenel fan just because mm. they're they're I mean they're they're very cheap. Uh, they hold a good mm. edge. But to me, they were the best steak knife that I could that I could find. And we had expensive mm. steak knives, and we had other you know cheaper steak knives. But they were the best. So yeah, yeah. That that's a whole sort of form and function. It's it's always yeah. it's always a wrestle, isn't it? Yeah, and I I mean that there's there's some things that are quite interesting. I mean we we are I mean in some ways lucky now that we you know the, the element of like I've been playing around only recently. The first thing is I'm making some pair but I got a friend to laser cut out knives and stuff like that. Mm. The blanks only. So it's one of those things again that wasn't going to affect I thought the end quality. It was still going to be a handmade. Yeah, but definitely. it was something that I very much wanted to help make the the job easier for a repetitive knife, um, and that kind of thing. So I suppose the those kind of things. I suppose I I wanted to play around about doing it with these pair knives because before I go and go and do anything with a bigger knife, because again I suppose I just feel like I want to have a different range. And I suppose one of the the things that I found myself kind of doing is I kind of, I don't really take sort of orders for the knives. I just go into the workshop and make knives and literally make a, try and make a range and keep pushing myself to make different ones from the small to the large to the bony, the hidden to whatever. And I kind of have this broad spectrum I put up on a website. And the people on the waiting list come along and they can choose a knife from the website that's there. And there's always good 20 or 30 kind of knives to choose from. If there's nothing there, perfect, give them a shout later on and say there's a different selection up but nearly always somebody will kind of choose a knife out of that range because it's quite uh, such a broad spectrum from yeah. a very simple carbon steel hidden or whatever to to some damascus knives to different things and that broad spectrum of the different knives has been has been actually kind of a fun thing because it's it's always led to this element of um of sort of you know not probably going back to make the same one but and I, in a short amount of time for, for myself, it has helped me to kind of learn more because I haven't been doing too much of the repetitive thing. But then again, I haven't refined and I've only just it's been a slow process to refine the, the object. So you're doing probably a very, very logical thing with a steak knife of focusing on one thing. Hmm. And I'm incredibly erratic and mad and I'm always <laughs> darting back and forth between different things like an overcoffeed sort of puppy dog that's kind of, you know, <laughs> and, you know, we'll drop it and pick it up later. And, and, you know, so that element of it's a more painful process to learn, but I suppose it's the way I've always done things. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's the way I did things, too. But, um, you know, some people can handle it better than others. And I was getting to the point where I'd have, you know, two dozen half finished knives there and... Um, hmm. Then, you know, picking up something else shiny and thinking, right, I'm going to do something great with this. And, mm. you know, so I just thought I just need to pare down, master this one thing, then master the next thing. And yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the what's the next one? Have you already lined it up? Or are you still focusing? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think a bread knife. Um, oh, yeah. I, I, do you know what? I always used to think there was a funny thing on forums where people would absolutely take the piss out of serrated knives. Yeah, mm. it's just a crap <laughs> yeah. knife if it's if it's serrated. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of serrated knives for a bread, and not just for bread knives either. For, no, I no, think for roasts and certain vegetables, they're fantastic. Well, I, yeah. Well, it's if there's crackling. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. But I suppose in some kind of ways. I've actually doubled because I've, I've actually been asked to kind of make a, 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 a bread knife for a friend, mm. and 
it's something that actually has had me thinking. How do you can you can you reinvent the um, the, the the serration? What's that uh, that that the UK knife that had the scallops, but actually the the wayne it was almost like a wayne like kind of the edge. The scallop actually goes into the, the gratin. Do you know the gratin no, knife? No, I don't know that. No, no. gratin is a UK. I'm pretty sure it's a UK knife, and the scallops were actually usually see a scallop kind of just up from the edge, mm. and they alternate from one side to the other, and that prevents the suction of something kind of going onto the side of the knife. I've been playing with scallops lately for the fun of it. I hope I'm pronouncing it properly. <laughs> scallops, scallops, and. Um, and I just kind of thought the Grant Edge was quite interesting, right? Because they actually use the scallop and they alternate. So it creates this wavy edge, which almost has the same kind of result of allowing sort of a, a bite on the edge. And it was, it was, it was, it's an interesting kind of, I think because it's a very traditional thing as well. Hmm. So then how else do you play around with serrations? And I was looking into this. Is it very much going to be done by hand? And again, a, a sneeze and it all goes wrong. Yes. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> or does one go off and kind of buy a sort of a diamond wheel that has a set number of eight serrations and kind of – or do you mount uh, – a specific stone into a sort of a chop cutter and find some kind of jig and do different processes and mm. you know so i suppose i've yet to kind of get do, does one alternate the serrations big big small big big small you know yeah <laughs> well like i was ch i've been chatting to um we, we've had him on the show in the past Mareko malmasi who makes these, yeah. these fantastic knives and he's been giving oh, me some incredible. advice this week on on serrations so um, I mean, I've tried both. I've tried a bevel on both sides, and then doing a, a the serration, just using a you know a very small contact wheel, sort of an eight mil contact mm. wheel, and just going in, just sort of buzzing off into these little serrations. Um, mm. But what I find worked best was actually just completely flat on one side, so it's only a, almost a chisel yeah. grind on one side, mm -hmm. and yeah. just using the serrations on that side. Um, yeah. But I'm still playing at the moment, and I'm still trying to yeah. you know, find out what works one, one of the tricks that helped me, I found that if I got my handheld angle grinder, I was actually able to shape and form um, the stones on a, on a very simple bench grinder. Ah, right. Mm. So rather, like, and it was actually one of the things I kind of did by mistake. I was realized that I had the stone was working beautifully for me. It was just an old, crappy, sort of cheap bench grinder that takes if you if you lean too mm. into hard into it it kind of stops yeah. <laughs> you know it gets oh, yeah. very yeah. hot after <laughs> half an hour and i must i must that's my next investment but i realized that i could actually use an anger grinder to kind of form the the the, the a, a concave convex or, or i could sort of narrow it down and oh. basically use the use a stainless steel um cutting kind of disc on a hand grinder to actually or an angle grinder to just slightly mold and change the the a wheel a fine, a fine wheel and that was kind of because i've been playing around with the, the scallops in different ways and that was a little trick so i thought maybe that would work mm. um to actually kind of refine maybe a wheel to suit and again you probably will but uh, you know it's not price point wise isn't it funny if if you think about it what people, you know, that 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 was that that thing of value for money, or what people will expect <laughs> to pay for something. Mm. So even myself now, I I will go off and I'll buy the twenty euro, twenty five euro, thirty euro, whatever they are, Victorian Knox Boney knives for work. Mm. But I I have and I've made for myself an incredibly over the top sort of boning knife for myself that I kind of use in special occasions. But you know, it took so much work to recreate the cheap one because, of course, you have to hollow out the handles and you have to do all these things to make it incredibly light. Yep. And you have to go through so much more element of care to get the blade a little bit thinner so there's an element of flex. So it was actually almost like more work in some ways to make a really good boning knife. It's hard work to make something cheap. No, oh, completely, completely. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think um, due to things like Instagram, I think 
more and more people are having much more appreciation for for handmade products. Yes, because and they get to that's see the, the process. Thing, you know, kind of, I, I didn't want to throw it off in some kind of ways, but, but I, and I did want to kind of go back to that because there is a thing of like a bony knife. Uh, the bread knives, oyster knives, some of these things can be, they're made in such large quantities that they can be cheap. But the thing is, is that if it is your trade and your area and your field, having a special one for that area is is something kind of wonderful. Um, I, I have to admit, I, I can, th- there would be a huge labor of love to make a really amazing bread knife. Um, but it would probably be, as they say, probably the best bread knife in the world. <laughs> you know. Let's talk about one of our sponsors, Tormac. To get great razor-sharp and repeatable edges, you're going to need a Tormac. To find out more, go to Tormac.com, which is T-O-R-M-E-K.com. Okay, let's get back to the show. So I, I've seen your name pop up on a number of, of feeds from sort of high-profile chefs on Instagram and Twitter and so on. So, so how have you promoted your work? How have you got to this point where you have this waiting list of people waiting for you to release your knives? I think... I. Th- do you know, in some kind of ways, I, I feel blessed that I have met these amazing characters. Mm. And, and I think it's largely through the food world. So I, I, I kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm off at a food event doing something with, at the lovely food and wine event or, um, the, sorry, um, up at, say, Food on the Edge. Or I'm off at Litfest in, in Ballymaloo or I'm kind of doing these things where these wonderful people are coming in to talk and do things. And I think just because I suppose I'm very lucky that my parents have been doing the cheese for so long and we are very kindly invited to these sort of events mm. that I just meet these, these amazing characters. And I, do you know, they always say that the way to somebody's heart is through their stomach. So food <laughs> was always this conduit where I had this connection to people. So I, I was making these cheeses and salamis and, and things. And, and I suppose that food was a great thing. Now, now then on the other side, I, started, I then started making knives and it was like another prong of attack. Hmm. <laughs> it wasn't hmm. an intentional one, but I sort of had another thing where, where chefs are like, oh, you make this, but you also make knives. And it was this thing where we kind of would have these insane chats over a bottle of wine in the, you know, all hours of the morning in the pub after one of these food events. Hmm. And he'd become mates with these guys. And and I think I think it's kind of gone down that kind of road, I suppose. It becomes barter and exchange and things like that. And, and it's just kind of gone from there. And I think when... So I suppose I've never had any any plan. I've basically had pints with guys in the middle of the night <laughs> and become friends with them. And they've taught me things. You know, you can you can get in touch with one of these guys who's a master of their own field and area. Mm. And they've held a knife for a lot longer than I have. And their feedback is is incredible. Mm. So I think that every you know that's that's kind of I suppose part of it. I think just uh, that mixture, like the hard juggle between knives and and the food world. But there has been that wonderful thing out of it, of, of the friends that we've made along the way. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. So I'm going to finish now with the same question that I ask, ask everybody on the show, which is whose work are you really enjoying, um, you know, when it comes to knives? Who, which other makers do you, do you respect? Oh, I suppose, do you know, I, I've probably become a bit of an Instagram junkie. You know, I do. I do like that that thing that it's, it's helped me that the visual element of of sort of seeing things and and it does help to kind of reach out. So I I, I probably have seen so many things and I feel nervous to shout out one name because hmm. I I would have so much respect for for different people in in in, in their different field in the different areas. Yeah, and yeah. you know there there is amazing characters like Bob Kramer, and you know there is that you know just one of those guys who's who's sort of I just loved his lines and his 
you know, his, his sort of knives. Mm. We've um, had Bob on the show in the past. He's fantastic. Oh, wow. Yes, oh, yeah. fantastic! Yeah, I, I'm. You know, there's, there. Who else would I, I? I feel I feel weird about sort of. I think there's just so many different characters kind of out there. I, I, I the cut Brooklyn was a gentleman I, I oh, met years ago when yes, I was in New yeah. York, and I've uh, and I, that video that, <laughs> and I love the way he actually refers to himself as that video. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I think that, that's how that most made, people come across Joel. I think from that video, yeah. yes, yeah. and you know, was was actually and that video hit a note with me, and I thought it was quite fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I was very lucky that I was over at a wedding in New York, and he kindly opened his doors, and I, I met him. And when I was, I went off to Aldo Bruno up in the New Jersey Steel Baron. Mm-hmm. After that, you know, that was a very interesting road trip. <laughs> um, so I suppose that there's um, Florentine Knives is doing amazing things. Oh, geez, have you seen the store that he's about to open? It's, I, I know it's like an Isn't Apple it? store. It's pristine. It the man, the man's got style, and he I think has. the fantastic thing about that was he was a designer first and a knife yes. maker after. Yes. I think that yeah. that's something that's been fascinating because he he came at knife making from an element of. Uh, you know, it wasn't bing, bang, bosh, or oh, I'll improve it next time. It was before I even pick up a piece of metal, how do I make a perfect knife? Highly refined, so, yeah. Yeah, so I actually have one of his knives inside from the Kickstarter. Oh, right, yeah. Things. I've got I've got and, one and, of his chef knives as well. They're, they're yes. fantastic, fantastic. Oh, they're great. So I think there's, I mean, Rory Connor is a huge influence to me as well. Um, um, there is... A bunch of, of where else do I go with this? I think I feel there's so many people now. I think I'm, <laughs> but I, I can keep going. I keep going. But I'd say that there's, a, that there's, there's a, that's scratching the surface of amazing knife makers out there. I think there's the forging. You know, I, do you know who's been I find fascinating lately? Alex Steele doing his his oh, um, YouTubing stuff. Amazing. As, that has, guy has can learn ver- quickly. His his he's knowledge sure. base and what he's sharing through the YouTubes and stuff is is quite fascinating. This I'm very lucky that down the road, ten minutes away, is, is a forge near here. Mm. So we went over to Owen Bush a long time ago. I, before I got, when I was very much learning, Owen Bush did one of the workshop weekends in down in Kent, mm. and that blew me away because I was taught by Rory on grindstock removal to go to Owen Bush about blacksmithing. And I, I'm, I don't know if there is a, a, a thing between the two. I mean, there's two different styles of making knives. Each have their own. You've got to raise, tip the hat to blacksmiths oh, yes, for, their, yeah. for their approach and how they do it. But they eventually need to go to a grinder. <laughs> <laughs> but there is the, that element where blacksmith goes above and beyond metallurgy and talks about grain refinement and the, the whole element of, of those kind of things. Whereas I suppose Grindstock Mover, we're sourcing the best deal we can. Mm. I kind of get a kick out of somebody making an incredible knife out of um, a leaf spring of a truck. Yeah, yeah. Um, Something some uh, I'd love to be able to do. It's, you know, hell of a skill. And, and you say people mm. like Alex Steele, they're just making these beautiful and incredible things. Hmm. And I and and I think that's because there is yeah I think working with what you have as well is fascinating. There's there's a couple of young guys in 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 town in Skull here that have just got into knife making, and I've seen this amazing um, kind of new wave of of knife makers coming in because I suppose thanks to Alex Steele, thanks to the internet and all these kind of things. I mean, mm-hmm. if you think about it, you know, Rory had to go over to the the states to to you know, luckily learn from one of the great knife makers um, and learn his kind of uh, do an apprenticeship in his time. You know, you could buy books and things, but then along came the internet. You know, yes, and, and isn't it unbelievable? <laughs> so information is at your fingertips. I mean, and because you you can dictate, and maybe if anything, too much information. Because you now get into these details of, of, of when it comes to heat treating, you know, 
the element of i mean there is literally a phone book that you can buy for for cpm steels and mm. on the perfect you know process of heat treating and, and getting it all sorted and um and I remember buying a piece of Alabama Damascus a long time ago. So I had I had two bits of steel in the workshop. There's some Alabama Damascus, and then there was I think some um, uh, oh god was it AEBL or no it was it wasn't it was um, anyway it was one of the ATS thirty four. Right. So yeah. some ATS thirty four, and I had I had this this Alabama Damascus billet and the ATS 34 had sort of four or five pages of specs and graphs and charts and <laughs> the heat treating process and the temperatures and the wrap and the foil and the cryo and the liquid nitrogen and then you're into the whole other range of graphs and charts onto the um, the the tempering cycles to achieve the certain rock wells so you, mm. you know it went into incredible detail and and you know thank god <laughs> that detail was there Hmm. And an Alabama Damascus had a little cut out of a little piece of paper that said, "You got to heat the steel till it's red hot, and then, <laughs> and then you got to quench it in oil." <laughs> and that was the instruction. Yeah, any oil will do. Any oil. And it, and it made an incredible knife. Yes. Yeah. You can keep it wonderfully simple. Yeah. And yeah. go at it, and then you can go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. And it can and be a curse. I mean, you just mentioned mm. the internet for information. It can be a curse. I mean, if you just go on any of the knife making forums, you know, there's, you know, you're going to get people who say, no, that's the wrong way to do it. That's the wrong way to do it. And people just need to find their own groove to find their own mm. way of doing things. And I think that's yeah. how we're going to get unique things happening. Totally. And, and isn't it fascinating? Even like the, the carbon steel knives are stunning. I mean, I have to admit, uh, my favorite knife is a carbon steel knife. You know, mm. my grandfather's that kind of, you know, and it was, it, it literally has, has this character about it, the patina and the whole sort of thing. Mm. And I have made many a carbon steel knife and I've sold them and I've, I've had perhaps issues come back where somebody says, oh, it got rusty. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I think the funny thing is, is that fine line between just let it go. Just, just let it go. Just don't keep it wet. But if it's got rusty now, just embrace it and go with it. And then, you know, later on, you see these people and they start using the photographs and the knives and their photographs and their shots. It's gone down this path, the patina, the, the, the things, the specs, the colors, the whole thing is, is quite stunning. But you almost have to embrace those things. Another great friend of mine will say he can taste the, the, the carbon steel as well and something if he cuts it. You know, but there's – but maybe he didn't clean it before he used it. <laughs> <laughs> But there is this thing of that, that what you can do with carbon steel, and it still is the best razors, and it still is probably this knife that has the most durable edge and is easiest to sharpen. Yeah. But then stainless steels have gone a long way of late. I mean, these these new composite steels, are not composite. What am I looking for? The CPM. What are the, you know, the these these amazing steels that are are sort of like literally able well, to do very much what the carbon steels just were. Extremely pure now, aren't they? You know. Mm, they're, they're yeah. Just... Yeah, fantastic. Ah, expensive, expensive. And, and you, you are going through this role. I mean, you're not taking the leaf spring off a truck and making several knives. Hmm. You are having to source these billets of, of knives. And, and I suppose it's, you know, but that's the thing. They're not going to rust on you. And they, they, they you do know that it's, it's something. So, again, it's that it, different steels for different person. It goes back to Aldo Bruno. Um, when I was starting off, I got in touch with him. And I was like, I, what's your best steel? And he told me this amazing thing. He said, listen, I goddamn hate that question. <laughs> you know, it's so true. There is no such thing as the best steel. What are you going to use it for? What exactly. are you going to be making? Exactly. You know, are you making a bony knife, a filleting knife? Are you making a you know, Japanese sort of, you know, sushi knife? So that doesn't help, you know, if you ask for the best steel, you know, somebody who wasn't going to give you a truthful answer like Aldo did, you know, would probably say, oh, my most expensive one. <laughs> you know? And I would like to think that somebody paying sort of three, four, five hundred pounds plus for a knife 
would have mm. had would have made these sort of decisions already, thinking, you know, what am I going to use in this knife for? Do I want carbon? Do I want stainless? And so on. But that's not oh, always you, the case. That's not always the case, is it? <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not always the case. You know, people aren't as educated as as you know knife makers. So I think it's 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 part of a knife maker's job to sort of educate the customer. You know, and when they're explaining that they want a carbon knife and they're going to be using it for it's a steak knife, for example, that doesn't really yep. make sense, you know. But yeah, I I, I know I, the, I suppose yeah, that's yeah. do you know what I suppose the funny thing is everybody's different, mm. and I've seen I've literally seen somebody pick up the knife and kind of say I don't really like that one, and the person afterwards has said that's my favorite one, I'm getting that one, and yeah. and that is <laughs> thank God for that. It applies to the food world as well. I, I'll make salamis, and somebody will won't like it. They like something else, and I suppose we make a range of foods. There's different things we make. Somebody likes spicy, somebody doesn't, yeah. and in some kind of way with the food world, what's always great is you'll get the truth from a child. <laughs> you know, a kid will come up <laughs> and spit it out. They'll either spit it out or they'll reach back for more or keep coming back and forth and back and forth looking for more of the samples and things. Yeah. yeah. And I suppose what is the what is the equivalent of a child, you know, in in the knife world? Somebody will kind of say, that's shit. <laughs> I don't like it. Yeah, and like yeah. I, I bought your knife because, and, and like, you know, touch wood. But, you know, I bought your knife. It's got mammoth tooth and it's got Damascus and dust kind of thing. And, you know, but it, you know, there's not something, you know, not quite right. You know, that's the, the, the funny thing again. That's going back around. You know the the um, those those kind of all, all those questions of, mm. of of sort of making the best knife. But do you know what? If it was easy, everybody would do it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I think that's probably a good way to end the show. If it was easy, that. everybody would do it. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, thank you very much for having me on. Well, thank you, Fingal. So, where can people see your work if they if they want to go online and see what you do? Where's the best place? Well, I have that? I have FingalFergusonKnives.com. Okay. Um, so I, I was being very original when I went with the name. <laughs> um, so there is the knives. And I mean, the, the website's of an age now, but I do have some pictures of kind of things up there. Instagram is the one where I'll always put up the, the latest knife I've kind of finished or I've been working on or, or playing around with. Yep. Um, there'll be the occasional pig and or cow or uh, <laughs> cheese or something in there as well. But yeah, you can see my obsession with knives on my, on my Instagram. And I suppose the, the, the sad thing is I don't have any knives available at the moment. I'm working through a wait list. I actually closed the waiting list. It'll probably be a couple of years to, to go through that. Um, and I think I am playing around with an element of perhaps doing an auction perhaps on, once a month or something like that because um, I suppose everybody's doing it and, and it is something that would make sense, Yeah, yeah. you know, to, to do that. So I, I'm actually exploring that. I think I'm, I've chosen the knife. I just have to <laughs> hit go. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. So people can head over to FingalFergusonKnives.com or FingalFerguson on Instagram. And it's been really great speaking with you. Thank, oh, you, thank, you, thank you so much. Fantastic. Enjoy enjoy the up and coming um, weekend. <laughs> it's going to be hot, isn't it? It's going to be hot. I'd say we, we actually, it's quite funny. Ireland has this incredible reputation Um you know, for being a wet, rainy country, we've literally had had sunshine for a week, and they're already talking about droughts. <laughs> <laughs> typical, we had, very typical. We had, we had minus two, and the country slowed down, and now we have thirty degrees, and the country's closing down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> actually, do you know what a great way of keeping cool in the summer? With a brand new Knife Talk T-shirt available from ShopKnives.com. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> we got the plug-in. <laughs> well, like, honestly, Fingal, thank you so much for taking the time out. Um, as I know, you're a very, very busy man. Um, and hopefully, we can speak again soon. Lovely. Thank you very much. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. 
like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.